God is good. All the time. It's so good to worship the Lord together with you, to hear this beautiful piano, to uh, hear this marvelous choir. Thank you for singing. The choir loft isn't quite finished. We don't have everything in place. The organ isn't finished. And it's like our church. We're still in process. We're still, like me individually, we're still growing and becoming. But we are grateful for God's provision and grateful to be together with you on this great day. Some years ago, Billy Graham was preaching in Florida, and when he got off the airplane, there was a, a chauffeur and a beautiful stretch limousine there to pick him up, and he got in the car and couldn't help but notice that the car was absolutely brand new, and uh, he had never ridden in such a fine automobile, and he thought, you know, I'd really like, it'd be great if I could drive this car, and so he tapped the chauffeur on the, on the shoulder and said, would it be okay if I drive the car? And the chauffeur said, you know, I mean, it's brand new, and I'm responsible for it. If anything happened, I just don't know. And Billy Graham said, but I'd be very careful with it. And he said, well, okay. So they they traded places. And Billy was driving down the freeway there in Florida, and and everything was going great. In fact, it was going so great, he wasn't paying attention to the speedometer. And sure enough, he was pulled over by a policeman who tapped on his window, and the window came down, and he handed his driver's license. And the man looked at it and recognized who he was and walked straight back to his car and sat down and got a supervisor on the radio and said, look... I've pulled over somebody very, very important here, and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, well, who is it? Have you pulled over some great sports celebrity, Shaquille O'Neal or somebody like that? He said, no, no, it's bigger than that. He said, are you telling me you pulled over the governor of the state? He said, no, it's not him. It's bigger than that. He said, you mean you pulled over the president of the United States? He said, no, it's bigger than that. He said, I I think it may be God. He's got Billy Graham for his driver. And I was wondering what you and I would do if in the course of our lives, God just showed up. If he just made his presence unmistakably known in our lives, what would we do? I only ask because as we entered into this room for the first time, I was reminded in my study that there was a day when Isaiah walked into the temple and God showed up. God made His presence known in an enormous and powerful way. And Isaiah's life was transformed by that experience so that he entered into a life of mission that changed the people in his world. And I was praying that God might do that again in my life and yours. Would you open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1? When God fills the room. What's that like? When God fills the room. Let's look at Isaiah's story. You know this text. I've been in love with it for the last 28 years, ever since my mentor assigned it to me, and I've been trying to understand it all of these years. And I want to share it with you over the next few weeks as God gives us opportunity. Let's stand together to read God's Word in reverence for our God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You may be seated. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Why did Isaiah go up to the temple? Well, he was a prophet and he he lived in Jerusalem. It wouldn't be uncommon for him to go to the temple, but this was an uncommon time. He says it was the year that King Uzziah died. And that may be a, a clue for us about what took him up to the temple. Some say he went up for Uzziah's funeral, this great king who had reigned for 52 years. Others say he went up that day because of the coronation of uh, Uzziah's son, Jotham, who was becoming the king, though he had already been serving as king in some way. Others say he went up because he was disillusioned and disappointed with the last king in his life. It had started in such a promising way and ended up in such tragedy. And so he went up there searching for answers. Perhaps he went up because his life was just empty and he wanted something to fill the vacuous void within. But he could not. He surely did not anticipate what happened that day. That the day he decided to go up to the temple, God decided to go to the temple as well. Oh, I know he lived in the temple. He sat on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. But it wasn't as though everybody who went up to church met him there. In fact, I suspect for many people, it was sort of business as usual. Just we go up to the temple because that's what we do. And who could have imagined what would happen that God would fill the room. Do you see it in this passage three times in the first four verses? It says, God fills. So it says that the train of his robe, just the hem of his garment, filled the whole temple as Isaiah drew near in this vision. God so filled the room that there was no room for him or anybody else to come in. It was just God in the room and there were angels and they were they were shouting and there was this antiphonal sound of holy, 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 resounding off the walls, resonating in Isaiah's heart. God is inestimably holy and the whole earth, listen to this, is full of His glory. And at the sound of the angels, it was an earth-shattering experience and, and there was smoke that, here's that word the third time, filled the room. It's as if the angels were saying, Isaiah, don't be surprised that God has filled the temple. This is His house. This is the place He lives. Be amazed and astonished that the God who fills the room is the God whose glory fills the whole earth. So filling a room 
is not a big deal for a God who is this great, this enormous, and the smoke fills the room as if to say, God was saying, the whole earth belongs to me. Now imagine what the New Testament writers were saying when they said to us, as I read earlier, that the God who fills everything in every way wants to fill us with His Spirit. What happens when God fills the room? Well, everything changes. Everything changes. I tell you, for some time there's been a question. We didn't know what to expect today in terms of how many people would be here and and how it would look in this big room. And I just have to say to you, there are all kinds of questions about will we be able to fill this room? But I have to say to you, the only question I have ever wondered about was not whether we will fill this room, but whether or not we will allow the Spirit of the Holy God to so fill us that our lives overflow with the goodness and glory of God and they see Christ in us high and lifted up because when Christ is lifted up, He draws all people to Himself. What happens when God fills the room? Well, God enters into our emptiness. And if you would receive it, He evacuates the vacuous emptiness of our lives and fills us with all of His fullness until we become, He says, God's inheritance in the saints. We become the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And I confess to you that our lives can be amazingly empty. There's something missing in our lives and we're not exactly sure what it is. And so we try to fill up that vacuum with any number of different things. And we finally say with the song of things we've had our fill. And yet we hunger still. Is that why Isaiah went up to the temple? Because he knew the emptiness in his soul mirrored the emptiness of the people of Israel who had once been such a great people of God on mission for Him in the world, but they had lost their vision, and with their vision, they had lost their mission. And and it started really with Uzziah. I just took the time this week to read his story again in 2 Kings chapters 14 and 15 and 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And in those passages of Scripture, it tells us that Uzziah, who also went by the name Azariah, had a marvelous beginning. You know what it's like to start the race well? That's Uzziah's story. I mean, he he started out his reign as king of Israel at a full sprint. He was ahead of the pack. In fact, scholars say that next to David and Solomon, Uzziah had the greatest reign and extent of his kingdom of any king in the history of both Israel and Judah. He started well. He was great organizationally at putting things together. He had a gift of leadership, we would say. He he was great militarily expanding the the kingdom of Israel and Judah. He He was great in all that he did. In terms of architecture, he built great things. He was an inventor who who built catapults to use to fight off Israel's enemies as they attacked the walls of Jerusalem. He was successful spiritually because early in his reign, he walked with God. But there is this profound statement in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. It says, and he was greatly helped 
until he became powerful. But there came a day when Uzziah was so filled with himself that there was no longer room for God in his life. And because of that, he he decided to exalt himself. It wasn't enough to be king. He wanted to be high priest as well. So he marched into the temple, uninvited, unannounced, with a censer in his hand. He decided he was going to burn incense, just like the sons of Aaron were supposed to. And a courageous high priest um, tried to stop him. His name was Azariah as well. And he had 80 courageous priests who tried to block the king. Who can block the king? The king said, I'm the king. I'm here to do what I want to do. And he raged at them and he he vented at them. And then they watched as slowly there was a change in his countenance and leprosy broke out on his forehead. And the scripture says he spent the rest of his long reign as king, exiled from the palace, far from the people, far from the temple. And his son Jotham had to play the role of king while his father literally wasted away. This is emptiness caused by the choices that he made. Uzziah lost his rule. He lost his reign. He he lost everything because he was so full of himself that there was no room for God. And I want you to know that the same temple that he walked into brashly to burn incense is the same temple that Isaiah felt himself drawn to on that day. Maybe you've read R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. And in that book, he tells about when he was a college student and And he went to sleep one night, but he couldn't sleep. And he felt like something was compelling him to get up and walk out. And so he walked out and walked across the snow. And he describes vividly walking into the little chapel at the college where he attended university. And there, he said, in that room, he experienced the presence of God. And God came and filled his life and called him into ministry. This is Isaiah's experience. He comes in grief, maybe in that sort of corporate guilt that says we ought to be better than we are. You hear the confession later when he says, not only am I a man of unclean lips, but I live among a people of unclean lips. And by the way, King Uzziah was a man of unclean lips and our our country is so far from God. And now maybe he was wondering who's going to be the next ruler. Who are the options? Uzziah is gone. Jotham has come. And then God comes and says, would it be okay if I'm king? Because I came to be the king. And he's seated on a throne high and lifted up. And everybody in that room knows that he is the king. And Isaiah knows it as God enters into the emptiness of the grief that he feels over the sins that he has committed and his people have committed. And he feels the undying sorrow of the loss of a king who started so well and ended so poorly. And that deep disappointment guides his thoughts as he comes up to the temple. His world situation was not unlike ours. Think about how full our lives were before they posted those signs on Beltway 8. Did you see them? Fill up your gas tank. A storm is brewing in the Gulf. And I I thought about it this week, how full my life was before Ike came. Think about it. My gas tanks were full and all three of our automobiles, uh, you know. uh, I, I had a full freezer and a full 
refrigerator. I had a full calendar. I mean, my life was booked from stem to stern. Every minute of every day was already accounted for. Everything was full. I, I go out on a limb to say uh, our 401 K's and, and 403B's were full before Ike came, before the last couple of tumultuous weeks and then the storm comes and we drain our gas tanks and the gas tanks that fed some generators for some of you. We had uh, internet for a while in my office and then when the gas tank ran out in the generator down at the, uh, at the station there, then we lost the, the internet because we didn't have gas in the generator. And, and not only that, but our freezer was suddenly full because we had to empty it. And the refrigerator was empty. And suddenly I had lots of time because my calendar was empty. And, and then the events of this last week and one day a trillion dollars are lost on Wall Street. And suddenly, at least I think the last couple of weeks ought to have been humbling for us. Because for all of our claims of control in our lives. We don't have very much power at all, do we? The emptiness of feeling like we're in control or that our politicians or our economists or others can fix our world have left us in this week feeling a bit empty. Maybe it's political, maybe it's economic, maybe for you it's, it's like Isaiah, to lose somebody you love. Even if they're filled with faults, if you lose somebody you love, there's a, a great pain in that. I heard the story, as you did, back in May of this year when Stephen Curtis Chapman, the singer-songwriter, found himself um, in an impossible situation that he never dreamed of. It was May 17th, 2008. It was the 10-year anniversary of our coming to Tallowood. I remember the day because of that, because that day on the news, the shocking story that Stephen Curtis Chapman's four-year-old daughter, Maria, was walking down the driveway and his 17-year-old son didn't know she was there and backed the car out and she was lost in a moment's time. You may have heard his song where he says, everything belongs to God. The streets of Uganda, the homeless people in Houston, the children in Africa, we all belong to you. And afterward, he thought he would never sing again. But God gave this man a song again. And he added, I don't know if you've heard this song on the radio, but he added this verse. And this is what it says. I've walked the valley of death's shadow so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I've had to let go of more than I could bear. And I've questioned everything that I believe. Still, even here in this great darkness, a comfort and a hope comes breaking through. As I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. And he tells how God has come to him in this enormous pain and comforted him and reminded him as he reminds us in the great tragic moments of our lives that God's face is turned toward us in the Stygian darkness when we can't see any light at all. Even then, especially then, God's eyes are on His people. He had not abandoned Israel, though Uzziah had turned from Him. God had not turned from Israel. And He came that day to say, I am still your King. Whoever is on the throne, I am, I was, and I always will be your great King. And He enters into the emptiness and fills them with His fullness and expands their expectations. Or should I say, He explodes their expectations. I don't know what Isaiah expected when he went up to the temple that day. I don't know what you and I expected when we came today. 
But what if God is here? What if God fills the room? This God who loves to enter into emptiness, who, who when there was nothing in the world, you know what nothing is? Nothing, uh, Jonathan Edwards said, nothingness is, nothing is what the, the rocks dream about when they sleep. It's, it's nothingness out there. And into the nothingness, when the earth was formless and void, the Spirit of God began to brood upon the face of the waters. Because I'll tell you about our God. He likes to enter into emptiness so that He can fill it with sight and with sound and with light and with love and with relationship and with music. God loves to enter into the emptiness. The God who created the universe, as you see depicted at the top of this window, the God who created all things, is the God who possesses all things, who expands our expectations. Maybe maybe our expectations of God are too small. As J.B. Phillips said, maybe our God is too small. Or maybe we don't want all of God that God wants to give to us. We would settle for less. Is that your story? How often in my life I would have settled for less than God had for me. One person said, three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to change my life. Not enough to make me love people who are different from me. Just a pound of the Almighty in a paper sack. I want three dollars worth of God, please. Can I just tell you, He doesn't come in that quantity. When He comes, He fills everything. Maybe you were thinking, I was wondering, where are people going to sit? I mean, I knew there were lots of seats, but I was wondering where specifically. Because I know where you sat in the other room. And I was wondering, where. maybe you were wondering, will our seat be there? Where is our seat? Can I just tell you, God did not for a moment wonder where His seat was in this room. He sits wherever He wants. It is His place. He fills everything in every way. He expands our expectations. He explodes our expectations. And He showed up and He filled that room. And He filled Isaiah's soul with a purpose again. And gave him a mission. And forgave him of his sin. And gave him a new start. And we need that experience as a church to begin again to be a new people in a new room, for God to make us new so that we become new. And my prayer for you this day was not, I didn't pray, oh Lord, fill the room up with people. I prayed, oh God, fill up the room with yourself. And then everybody who comes will know that God is here, that God is in this place. Like R.C. Sproul, I remember years ago going to Mississippi to preach a little revival at Little Behala Baptist Church. And I was unprepared for the day that we went and visited the big church in Mississippi, First Baptist Jackson. And my friend said, you've got to see this church. I said, I've seen all kinds of... No, you've got to see this church. And we walked in and we looked at all their administrative space and the way they organized the different departments and their children's space. And finally, I made my way to the sanctuary. The doors were locked, but I finally found one that was open. I was persistent. And I opened that door. And I was utterly unprepared for the presence of God I felt when I walked in that room. Why? Why? It wasn't visible. It wasn't audible. But it was palpable. I knew God was there. And I just went in the room and I walked and finally I just sat and I was just overcome with emotion. And I had never once been in that room before. And I'd never sung a song in that room. And I'd never listened to a sermon in that room. And I'd never spoken in that room. But it seemed to me that when I walked in that room that God was there. 
And I've been praying that someday, years from now, some young preacher will walk into this room when nobody's looking, when nobody knows, when maybe he's not even supposed to be in here, and he will walk in and say, God is here. Not because God is in this particular space. I remember what Solomon said after he built the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18. Remember what he said? The heaven of heavens can't contain God. The highest heavens can't contain Him, much less buildings made with human hands. It's not that God occupies architectural space, though we built the ceiling high because we wanted people who came in to recognize that our God is great. As Haggai said, we're building a bigger house because our God is bigger than all the other gods. But God in the New Testament, we learn, doesn't live in architectural buildings. He doesn't live in construction But He chooses the great God of heaven, condescends to live in human hearts. He wants to live in us. And so this is good news, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are you, how happy are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that you? Because if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, He says, you will be filled. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, God wants to fill you with His Spirit. And if you are filled with His Spirit, no substance will ever satisfy again. Be filled with all the fullness of God. The same God whom He says fills everything in every way wants to fill us with His Spirit as He describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, this God so fills us that the glory of God emanates from within us. Not a declining glory like Moses who wore the veil for a while and finally the glow faded, but rather an ever-increasing glory that shines forth from God's people. Yesterday morning, a preacher friend called me. He lives in our neighborhood. He's been watching all of this. He grew up in this neighborhood. He said, I, I had to call you and tell you, I love to drive down Tallowood Drive at night now when the lights are on in the sanctuary. Because I love the light that comes out of the windows. And he said, God told me to call you and tell you that the light that is coming out makes all of us want to come in. And I thought that's a great thing for a building. But it's even greater when the people of God who meet in this room are so filled with the fullness of God that the light that comes out from us makes other people want to come in and find out what God is doing in this place. I'm not worried about whether we'll fill this room. I just want to be sure that you and I are filled with all the fullness of God. So full that we overflow from our eyes that His praise overflows from our lips and we declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this place. But thank You even more for Your presence in this place. We pray, O God, that You would so fill us with Your fullness that everybody who knows us would know that You are in us and on us working through us and that they would want what we have because you have given us all of your all. This is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.